Hi guys, it's Ryan. And it's Alex. Uh, Welcome back to That Sauce. Yeah, hello. <laughs> How are you? You can't speak back to us, I'm sorry. Good, okay, good to hear. Good, I'm hoping you're doing well. Uh, if you're not, keep your head up. Yes. Yeah. We all right, this too shall pass. <laughs> uh, let's talk about murder in the meantime. Let's go. Helene Przinsky was a five foot one, 115 pound, brown haired, blue eyed, 21 year old girl born April 6, 1958, originally from Long Island, New York, but living in Massachusetts after her dad got a new job that took them to Hamilton, Massachusetts. Helene was attending Wheaton College in Norton, Massachusetts. She was an aspiring journalist working an internship at Denver radio station KHOWAM. She had only been there about two weeks when this crime took place. She was described as just a wonderful, decent, nice young lady. January 16, 1980, Helene left work at the radio station, rode a bus down Broadway, got off in Inglewood to walk the mere six blocks to the home of her aunt and uncle where she was staying. She had a well-established, predictable routine. She would leave work at approximately 6.10 p.m. at Broadway and 14th Avenue. The bus would take her south, then she'd get off at South Broadway and Union Avenue. Helene never made it back to her aunt and uncle's house because she was kidnapped near Union Avenue. Which was extremely odd when she didn't show up. She was pretty much always home on time. Um, like I said, her routine was very established, very predictable. And when she didn't turn up by 10.30 p.m., her family called the Inglewood Police Department. But sadly, they would never get to see her again. Helene's body was discovered the next morning at about 9 a.m. in a field on Daniels Park Road in what is now known as Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Uh, Highlands Ranch is about 20 minutes south of Inglewood, where her aunt and uncle lived. Helene was found with nine stab wounds in the back. She was nude below the waist, hands bound behind her back, and evidence of repeated rape. Despite the retrieval of male DNA from the scene, the case pretty much went cold. Authorities had made a sketch from a description a witness gave under hypnosis. They eliminated suspects one by one, two of which separately confessed to the crime. They even went so far as to track down every owner of the car that the killer was believed to be driving. This was, until recently, with the help of our trusty friend, Online Genealogy. Yay. Yes. So that is how the authorities caught James Curtis Clanton, a 62-year-old man from Lake Butler, Florida. His DNA matched the semen that was found on Helene's coat. Authorities were able to identify James, who had actually previously served prison time for rape. Uh, he was sentenced to 30 years in jail in Arkansas after he pled guilty to rape in 1975. 
He entered a woman's home on the pretext of using her phone and then forced her into her bedroom at knife point and assaulted her. So using the genealogy bases, they had that DNA and they one by one ruled out his other family members until it came down to him. And once they had that pool, smaller pool, they looked at his record and could tell like, okay, yeah, this guy's probably a pretty good option for a suspect. Um, James was extradited to Colorado after being charged with first-degree murder and second-degree kidnapping. James pled guilty and faces a mandatory sentence of life in prison. He is eligible for parole, though, after 20 years. Um, the reason he actually pled guilty instead of going to trial is because he faced the death penalty. Mm. Uh, now, you may be wondering, what was he doing while they were trying to catch him? James worked at a landscaping company, a vacuum company, married at least twice, and eventually made his way to Florida. His first marriage was to a old girlfriend from Arkansas, who he got married to in 1980, which is the year that Helene was killed. She left him after only 30 days, <laughs> which is even shorter than Kim Kardashian's first marriage, so... <laughs> That's quite impressive. By 1982, he had moved to Florida where he changed his name. His name is not actually James, which is kind of weird. Um, he got married and divorced a second time and was charged and arrested for domestic violence in 1998. Oh, no. um, he even said to Sergeant Attila Deans of the Douglas County Sheriff's Office... He said that he felt that he had received many more years of freedom than he deserved. Um, yeah. Duh. <laughs> um, but scholarships were actually established in Helene's memory at both her high school and college. And the family now has peace that James is behind bars. When did they find him? When did they connect it? Uh, he was charged in February, but they have been working on the DNA genealogy stuff for about two years now. So this was in 2017 that this all started? 2018. It's 2020. February as in this February? Yes. Oh, I just assumed he meant last month. Oh. Or last year, I mean. No, no, like. Wow. Last month. Okay, so it started all in 2018. And she went missing and got and was murdered in 80. Yes. 1980. Yes. Wow. That's insane. Which that's, is that's 40 years? It's just like Golden State Killer. Yeah, exactly. It's almost the exact same amount of time. Yeah. That's insane. Which is crazy. Like, there really wasn't that much information because obviously in 1980, the technology was not the same. I watched a few news reports um, on YouTube that were from 1980 when she disappeared. And it's crazy how much technology has advanced with finding criminals so okay so i need a timeline how did this guy get to colorado in the first place okay so he's originally from arkansas got it he was convicted of rape in arkansas mm -hmm. he was supposed to spend 30 years in prison right in arkansas um he finessed his way out of this by he only served four years but there was a former counselor from the jail who offered to take him in in Colorado. 
So okay. that's what brought him to Colorado. So he was in jail and then moved to Colorado with the counselor that kind of snuck him out of jail almost. Yeah, kind of. Okay, so then he's um, in Colorado with the counselor. Yep, and then uh, after a while, he moved out okay. from the counselor's house to Englewood. And Englewood is kind of like a suburb of Denver. Mm-hmm. So um, not too far from the counselor, but still out of the counselor's supervision. Okay. Um, and he was living there when Helene was killed. Okay. And then he moved to Florida a couple years later. Yes. Okay. Got it. Got it. So otherwise, I have a few questions about um, the case, like the murder itself, like before they figured out that it was him and everything. Mm-hmm. So the first one is, like if you're thinking of just the night that it happened, I mean, how did they know that she was kidnapped after her bus ride because you said that it was around union street that she was kidnapped, which is the end of her bus route. So how do you, how did they know that? Um, there was other people on the bus with her that saw her and the bus driver saw her get off of the bus. Okay. Um, like I said before, her routine was like down to the minute when her aunt and uncle knew she was going to be home. Right. So, and like I said, she got on the bus at six ten, same time every day. Uh, so the people even on the bus or the driver probably even recognized yeah, her at that it, point. A couple if weeks they in. were driving like the same route every mm-hmm. single day, probably. Um, and just the time frame. So if she got on the bus and then she got off and people saw her on the bus, but she didn't get home and it was only a six block walk, it had to have been in that time frame. Okay, gotcha. And then you mentioned something about somebody having seen the car because they were checking out all the previous owners of the car that the killer was thought to be driving. Who saw the car? Um, just like um, someone on the street when she was kidnapped. They didn't see her being kidnapped, but they placed that car at that time okay. frame. Okay, okay. Um, they didn't necessarily see like her being kidnapped. They just saw a general idea of his face. That's where the sketch came from. And then the description of the car. So there wasn't really anything that like when they were chasing that lead, that was just a blind shot in the dark basically because they didn't even know for sure that that was the car that kidnapped her. Yep. Wow. Interesting. That was the closest they could get. That's insane. What kind of car was it? Do you know? I did not see that anywhere. Interesting. I guess it doesn't matter because it it, wa- it wouldn't it, have been it him didn't anyways. Lead them he to, wasn't in yeah, Colorado. It didn't lead them to anything. Yeah. He was in Colorado. Yeah, he was. He was living there. When they were looking for him, no. He moved to... Oh, true. Yeah. Uh, oh, true, true, true. Afterwards. But he didn't move to Colorado and... Or, excuse me, to Florida until 82. So he was there for a little while while they started looking, wasn't he? Yeah. But not for very long, I guess. Yeah, he not for very quick. long at all. By the yeah. time they probably put all those dots together, it was yeah. probably a few months down the road at least. Wow. That's insane. Thank God for genealogical testing. Yeah. A lot of the, um, like, on web sleuths and mm-hmm. other, like, forums and stuff, people were going back and forth, like, how is this ethical, blah, blah, blah. We have already caught so many people with this. Like, you can't deny that it's doing way more benefit than it is harm. Mm-hmm. Well, and if they run it and it doesn't have any genealogical match, it doesn't hurt anyone. And if the and if it does have some kind of match and they investigate everyone and no one fits it, then it doesn't hurt it. Like I don't I don't see the also, really the problem. Also, you're consenting. When, yeah, you're when consenting you sign up for, for it. Yeah. You consent that it's public information. Yeah, exactly. That you're giving your blood 
Like you're, or you're, spit. yeah, or what? Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, true, true. It's probably spit. <laughs> uh, fair. You probably don't shove a needle in your own arm. I clearly have never taken one. Um, yeah, I think that they are easily the best option moving forward in like modern technology with solving cold cases. I think it Definitely. it could really solve a lot in in cases like this where the guy literally moved away and it, without that blood, they never would have caught him. He would have just continued living in Florida. He was across the country. They had no idea that it was him. It wasn't blood though. It was semen, by the way. Because he raped her. Oh, did I say that? Yeah, you his, said blood. Oh, his blood. Yeah, oh, I meant DNA. his DNA. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm just mixing up blood with spit <laughs> and semen and everything. Okay. Uh, but yeah, anyway, it's amazing. I'm interested to see how it, um, like, because there's still a debate about whether it's ethical or whatever, and there's not a huge legal precedent um, mm-hmm. regarding using that as a way to legitimately identify suspects in, like, homicides and stuff. I'm interested to see how that. Uh, develops moving forward like what kind of laws end up being put in place and or laws being you know amended to I definitely agree allow for them it, or... it wasn't him right it was just a relative like right. he may not even know this person like for people with large families it could be your third cousin that you have never met in your entire life you probably don't even know billy bob exists yeah but he decided to do 23 and me and Suddenly, you just got caught for a murder that you did 40 years ago and you thought you were going to get away with. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I see, I guess, that's where the ethical thing comes in because he did not consent to his DNA being taken. But the thing is, he doesn't have to. Like, if they had figured out that he was a suspect in a different way, Mm -hmm. they could have, like, there's plenty of ways that they can get warrants and stuff to hide out and grab a drink that they used Mm -hmm. or a smoke, like a cigarette they threw on the ground Mm -hmm. or something and use that as DNA testing without their consent to confirm. Exactly. So it's not, it's the same thing. It's just... Using technology to speed up the process. Exactly. I don't. I see where people are coming from. Like I get the process of thought there, but I don't think that it's a relevant argument. I understand it. I'm still not gonna do yeah. the DNA yeah. test because I'm paranoid. <laughs> even though I've never done anything, it just freaks me out. But I do think that it is a good, good tool for law enforcement. Yeah, and it's just, it's just, yeah, luck. I mean, it's kind of comes down to luck. Like if that person. That you're Just looking for so happens, happens to have a family member that's done it. But, I mean, over time, more and more people are going to participate in stuff like that. Or, uh, you know, DNA records are going to become shared in different ways throughout, you know, time. It's just, it's all really going to change it. It's really interesting to see. Even in the last 20 years, how DNA technology has changed. I say, think about how it's going to be in 40 more yeah, years. It's going to be entirely different. I almost wonder if, there, like, there's going to come a day where you, you literally can't, you can't murder somebody without getting caught. Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, eventually they're going to... I mean, f- even if you get arrested for something, like, very minor, yeah. they have your DNA. Right. You're in that database forever. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it makes me... It gives me shivers. <laughs> ah, okay. I'm just very glad this family finally has justice. Yeah. Um, even though it did come... Very late. Very, very, very... Very late, a little too late, but um, all of her family has basically said there hasn't been a day that they haven't missed her, so right. they finally got some real closure and yeah. some justice in the situation. Yeah. As much as it can for them, it's over because they both have her physical body. They She isn't missing, and mm-hmm. they have justice for who did it to her. Like, for sure, that's who did it, so that's probably... I feel like the, the use of DNA as well... Um, in like the genealogical testing and stuff it just since it's so sure like it can't be wrong like dna is 
yeah. what it is. Like, there's no, like, fooling it or anything, you know? Um, Unless you have an identical twin. <laughs> okay. Okay, well. I, I'm kidding. That's very, a rabbit hole we don't yeah. need to Okay, anyway, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so since DNA is so, like, sure and specific, it's probably really satisfying for families that get closure via DNA evidence specifically because it's so like it's for sure there's no doubt in your mind that that's the person that's responsible and that they're paying the price for what they did locked away for life okay well that's all cool have a great week guys yeah see you next week bye bye This episode of That's Sus was researched, written, and hosted by myself, Alex Hughes, with co-hosting by Ryan Needles. All music, editing, and sound production was done by Michael Coffey. Our art was created by Carson Ghost.